Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're reflecting on how to speak with youth about turmoil, strife, community challenges, with a particular focus on what's been happening in Baltimore this past month, how educators, parents, the country address these types of events that unfold on the national stage. We're here with two experts in the field, HGSE faculty Rick Weisberg, who is also an occasional guest host of the EdCast, and doctoral candidate Eve Ewing, doing research specifically on racism and inequality, both here to share their wisdom on the subject. Welcome both to the EdCast. Great to be here. Thank you, Matt. So between the two of you, you've done research in many different types of communities. And I'm curious, your concerns about how youth in different communities understand the recent events that you know sort of unfolded in Baltimore. Well, why don't I start? And again, um, thank you, Matt, for taking up this super important topic. I, uh, I think the question you ask is a, is a great one because I think there are very different issues in different communities. And, you know, when I think about, uh, you know, generally speaking, white affluent communities, the things that I worry about are kids who are entitled, kids who don't really understand their privilege, kids who really don't take the perspective on any kind of regular basis of um, kids who are from different races, classes, cultures. And so, you know, I think that the challenge there is to really help people develop empathy and and understanding and social awareness about people who really don't have the privileges they do. And, and getting beyond a single social justice course or participating in one community service activity, I mean, it's lifelong work. And I think we have to get kids to embark mm -hmm. on that work. Um, and I think in low-income communities, communities of color, and, and Eve is going to speak about this as well, but I just think the challenges are, di are very different. I think the challenges are, you know, of, around feeling marginalized, around dealing with racism, around treating people you as, as invisible, as feeling degraded um, by people in the mainstream. And, you know, that's a very different ethical challenge. It's, you know, and it's a very high bar, you know, it's how do you... Um, live in a world and seek justice um, when you feel like the world hasn't been just to you in some way? How do you value and appreciate people who you think have not valued you in, in some way? So um, I just think these are different kinds of conversations to have and both very important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think in particular for African-American youth and African-American adolescents um, specifically, there's a real danger um, on several levels. One is, um, you know, we've seen a lot of increasing media discourse um, around uprisings in Baltimore and using words like thug, rioting. And it's very easy for adolescents to internalize those media messages and really ask questions about how their communities are being represented. And really sometimes the fear of, of uh, feeling devalued themselves because of these media images. Um, secondarily, a lot of youth may really feel a fear of the police if they feel empathy uh, with victims of acts of police violence. Um, you may recall that in Baltimore there was news coverage of police uh, having interactions with high school students specifically. And I had a student of mine contact me and say, you know, it makes me really feel afraid when I see police on TV corralling high school students and arresting them. Um, there's a lot of, of real empathy there. Um, and then in addition, you know, young people are at a time when they're coming into their own sort of political awareness, their sense of self. And so it's very frustrating if you've grown up uh, really internalizing and believing messages about equity and justice, as we learn about in our civics courses and our social studies courses, and then mm -hmm. seeing those in conflict and how they're being played out um, on the national stage. And, and uh, adolescents and African-American adolescents may be asking themselves, you know, what is this country that I'm entering into as, as a young citizen? Um, and 
and am I going to be marginalized or am I going to be valued? So those are some, some of the specific fears and insecurities that those youth might feel. This is a podcast greatly uh, being listened to by educators. What, what can educators do about this? You know, if the, if the table has been set, the pins have been set, uh, what, what are educators, what can they do in terms of conversations to be had? How do you have those conversations? Is it hard? What are the challenges? And, and should they even be happening? And, and how do they change from community to community across the country? Absolutely. Um, you know, we live in a national context where educators of all races and backgrounds are teaching um, specifically African-American, Latino, low-income youth. And I think that that can make those challenges of a conversation even more difficult. If you're trying to encounter really difficult topics and you yourself don't feel like you have experiences um, with urban violence, with police brutality, for example. Um, and I think educators of all backgrounds can really begin by listening. When it comes to adolescence, it's very easy for us to to move into a place as adults where we want to be reassuring, we want to be soothing, um, and sometimes we want to give them the answers. And the fact of the matter is, young people really may be processing these questions and opinions in a lot of ways. They may have values that differ from your own as an adult. Um, they may have questions that you don't anticipate. And so I think it's really important to initiate the conversation, not by jumping in and trying to give them all the answers, but listening to them process and seeing where they are. And the second thing I would add is that um, as an arts educator, I think that arts can be a really important outlet for examining um, these conversations and you know inviting young people to create productive and creative work um, that not only allows them an opportunity to think through their own feelings and opinions on these topics but also a way of sharing those ideas with the world um, because we need to hear them we need to hear what young people are thinking and feeling and fearing about police violence Rick, I'm curious, what type of supports would be helpful for educators? Certainly listening uh, to the two of you today is maybe giving some uh, educators direction. What, what type of additional support would be helpful to having, having these conversations happen fruitfully? Well, I, just, to, just to respond to something that Eve said, and then I will answer your, your good question. Um, I think that adolescents are capable of very complex thinking. And, you know, I mean, in terms of the choice of whether educators should um, get into these topics or not. Uh, there are dangers in not getting into these topics, too. Um, these things are, are very public. They're incomprehensible often. They're frightening. They're unpredictable. I mean, particularly for some kids, kids of color, they're very frightening. Um, so they're the kind of things that need to be talked about, that need to be worked through. Um, and adolescents can deal with the amb ambiguity and the complexity of them. And I think sometimes we underestimate their capacity to do that. Uh, I, in terms of your question about supports, I do worry about um, adults venturing into these conversations and not being able to facilitate them well. I mean, if they're going to have honest conversations, these conversations can be very loaded, can be very fraught. Um, people have um, intense and complex feelings about these things. So I think getting some support around facilitation really does matter. So, you know, places like Facing History have um, guides for adults in leading difficult conversations. There are other places where you can get, um, and Eve may have thoughts about this, about getting guidance in leading difficult conversations. And, you know, adults also obviously have their own biases, too, um, sometimes explicit, sometimes implicit. So, you know, in entering these conversations, you have to be self-reflective, too. You know, you really have to understand your biases and be able to discuss them and manage them. 
I really couldn't agree more, and I think that that last point is crucial. Um, I think as adults, if you're an educator in a formal classroom context, a parent, an out-of-school time educator, um, it's really important to think about where you can find other places to process your own feelings and really create a safe space for adolescents to process through how they're feeling. Um, in addition to facing history and their wonderful curricula that, that I've used in my classrooms, um, I would add that there have been some really amazing grassroots efforts of educators to put together teaching resources on first on Baltimore um, and on the longer history of, of um, police issues in communities and ways in which communities have resisted. Um, and so I would encourage everyone listening to do searches for teaching about Ferguson, teaching about Baltimore, and there are some really amazing collaborative online resources that teachers have put together. Um, I would also encourage educators to draw from some of the history that is not always really discussed in terms of civil rights movements and, and activist movements. Um, we have an unfortunate tendency to really focus on huge luminary figures and you know a lot of our students grow up hearing all about Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King but they don't necessarily hear about the organizers of SNCC you know young people very much like themselves who are really at the forefront of these movements um, and there's been some exciting coverage today of people like Janetta Elzey, DeRay McKesson, um, really young people that are stepping to the forefront and leading activist movements and saying you know we have some ability and power to create grassroots change and I think that that's important for young people to see because because um, it helps them understand that they themselves can have a, a civic role um, in creating the future that they want to see and take some ownership there. I'm curious the difference between a conversation held by a teacher in a classroom and an educator, and you touched on this a little bit, Eve, and then the conversation that happens at home, maybe over the dinner table, between a parent and their children about what's happening versus what happens in the classroom. What's the difference between those conversations, and what's some advice for parents? You know, in some ways, these are these are similar conversations. They're both about listening. They're both about helping kids make these kind of experiences um, understandable and manageable and, and meaningful in some way. Um, but I think parents can do some different things. I mean, you know, they can explore these issues more intimately with their kids. And often, you know, these experiences will have echoes for kids of other kinds of childhood traumas of one kind or another, or other experiences that they've had with um, discrimination or unfairness, things that are hard for them to explore in a classroom, but that they can explore with their parents. I think sometimes it's important for parents to share their own histories, too, um, with these things, and that parents often have a lot of wisdom. Um, and, you know, many parents have been um, either victims or um, been involved in activism of one kind or another. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, it's important for parents, you know, as both Eve and I are saying, to also do the work, to be self-aware, to be self-reflective um, before engaging in these conversations. I really agree. I think that the difference is that um, the job of the educator is to make a space for young people to learn through their own reflection and learn from each other. And I think parents have the same job, but they have the additional ability to use this as an opportunity to talk about your own family values and your own family narrative. Um, you know, there's some great research that helps us see that young people, even when they've experienced traumatic events, if they have a sense of their family narrative, their family story, that can help them develop um, some resilience and some ability to move forward through those marginalized feelings. Um, when I was a young person growing up as an African-American kid in Chicago, my mom talked to me a lot about South Africa and about her own role in anti-apartheid movements, uh, about Nelson Mandela, but also about the people that marched to get Nelson Mandela free. Um, and, you know, I spoke to a friend of mine who's a parent recently, and he said he uses these opportunities to tell his daughter, you know, we come from a long history of struggle, and these moments are really scary, but we have always, as a community and as a family, stepped up and, and fought for what's right 
right? And, you know, he says that that helps her feel like she has a place in this that is positive and, and not just negative. And also having those really frank conversations about safety. Um, I've had some uncomfortable conversations with youth recently about if you're going to go to protests, you know, talking about the reality of how you make sure that that's a safe experience. Um, talking about the realities for parents of African American or Latino children about how they may have to comport themselves vis-a-vis -vis the police. Um, those are uncomfortable but really important conversations as well. Uh, final 30 seconds of this podcast, uh, just broad key takeaways that you want to make sure our audience leaves with. If, if this were just, you know, if they just turned on the podcast right now, what would be some, some final takeaways that they could really turn this off and, and, and take with them to their homes or into their communities or into their schools? Yeah, well, I would just lift up, I would lift up two. One is um, an issue that, that Eve raised. It is really the importance of listening, that you may really conflate your perceptions and experiences um, with your child's or your student's perceptions and experiences. And it's really under, important to understand how they're making meaning. The other is of converting passivity into activity. You know, I think it's very hard in the face of these experiences to be passive. And, it, and that's what really can lead to um, feeling hopeless, feeling defeated. And there are, you know, many forms of activity that people can take. They can be out there protesting, but there are other things that they can do. Um, but uh, Activity is a, is a wonderful healing, um, <laughs> is wonderful for healing, and it's also just important for justice. So, I agree with those totally. And in addition, I would say um, that the exercise of listening should not just be an exercise. And I would really encourage um, all adults out there who see themselves as allies to um, stop thinking about the youth as the future of civic participation, as the future of social justice, and start thinking about them as the present. Um, it is really convenient and tempting to, to tell them the stories and the answers based on our own perceptions. But the fact of the matter is that young people have always been at the front lines of justice and will continue to be. And we have to start seeing them that way as political leaders. Even Rick, I can't think of two better people to talk to about these issues. And uh, we're going to do our best to get your message and your wisdom out to the world. So thanks for being on the EdCast. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you. What a pleasure. This has been the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. <laughs>